Welcome to Know Your Options, the Measured Risk Podcast. The ultimate guide to navigating the volatile nature of the markets while managing risk purposefully. Join us as we challenge the theory behind traditional asset allocation and dive into the mathematics of investing. Whether you are a seasoned investor or just starting out, this podcast offers valuable insights and practical advice to help you make informed decisions and manage your money wisely. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's dive into the world of calculated risks together. Welcome to the show today. This is Larry Kriesmer with the Know Your Options podcast. I'm here with my business partner, Bernard Swarovski. Hello. We have a guest today, Ami Kassar. He is the founder of Multifunding and the author of The Growth Dilemma. And as you can see in the background, if you're watching us, he's also the host of his own Ami Sites podcast. So welcome to the show today, Ami Kassar. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, so this will be a little bit different today. Ami is not an RIA, but he is in the business of funding. And that uh, funding expertise is certainly interesting to RIAs, both for themselves, potentially for acquisitions and the merger space that we're going through here in a big way in the RIA space, but also for their clients, potentially giving some insight into how we might uh, help the clients of an RIA seek additional funding sources. So Ami, why don't you talk a little bit about um, you know how you describe you, your your role in this process of learning about funding and writing about funding? Sure. So um, thanks for having me on the show. I founded Multifunding in 2010 um, with the idea that we would create a service that we could advocate for entrepreneurs through the process of getting loans. So we've had the great fortune of listening to many thousands of stories over the years. And people call us with all kinds of issues that are going on or opportunities or things they're looking to solve. And we listen to their stories. And then our job is to know the debt markets extremely well. And we explain to them if they exist, um, what the alternatives are on the debt market that might be able to help them and the pros and cons of each approach that might be available. Then if they like what we hear and it makes sense, we package up their loans. We've built a network of lenders across the country, and we help them place the debt, call us an investment bank for debt. Can you share with us a story, you know, of a recent success, or it doesn't even be recent, but, you know, just one of your, you know, more successful stories that you can relate to us and how, how that process went for the, for the client? Yeah, so not all the time, but about 95% of the time we use the SBA. Small Business Administration, which is, um, in my opinion, one of the best kept secrets in government and also one of the most deeply misunderstood programs about what we can do with it. And in this economy, it's sort of an interesting environment because just sort of right near the end of the pandemic, the government put out about $200 billion of economic injury disaster loans with an average loan of $700,000 on 30-year terms at 3.75% interest fixed. So a lot of balance sheets of existing businesses are kind of artificially inflated right now, and the government has lean on them. So we moved a lot, and in the last uh, year or two, we've been doing a ton of business acquisition work. So someone's trying to buy an existing business, and... Um, we do a lot of them. We've done over 125 business acquisition transactions. And in those cases, the real benefit of getting SBA financing, even though rates are higher today than they were 
is that um, you can do it with 10% down and the loan amortizes over 10 years. So the monthly payments are going to be much lower than if you did that loan over five or maybe seven years if a bank did it conventionally. And do, you, do you have any stories that you could relate to our listeners about anything in the, in the financial services industry in particular? Or you're not seeing that much? Sure. So you can that? use an SBA loan, two different scenarios. One is growth capital and one is to buy a business. So you could use a business. If you guys chose to buy a business identical to yours today, right. expand and you chose to finance that with SBA debt, because it's if, assuming it does exactly what you do today, that is actually considered an expansion loan. And you could do it with 0% down. SBA loans are cash flow loans. So they are designed because, say, in the financial services business, you guys don't have a lot of collateral. You don't really have any collateral. Yeah. I mean, all I've got is Larry as my collateral. Yeah, right. I'll be happy to set him up any time. I do have these pockets. <laughs> SBA loans by nature are designed for low collateral situations because the government is guaranteeing 75% of that loan to the banks. The government's guarantee is essentially the collateral. So SBA loans by nature are... Uh, terrific loans in a situation like this. If you were buying a different business that wasn't yours, uh, like yours, you could still do that with 10% down. If one of you decided, assuming you're 50-50 partners, if one of you decided to buy the other one out, you could also do that with an SBA loan up to $5 million. And what people don't like about SBA loans is personal guarantees and if you own a house and there's equity in it and the loan is greater than $350,000, the government's going to take a lien on your house, as they should. If the government is guaranteeing the loan, in my opinion, so should the entrepreneur. Yeah. So those are scenarios for financial services um, advisors uh, to consider. The other area is growth capital. So I'm going to ask you guys, I'm going to reverse roles now and ask you a question, okay? Yeah, sure. This is for your existing business today. If Uncle Joe came in and gave you a gift of $350,000, and the condition was you had to use the $350,000 to make investments in your business that you're not making today, or he's taking the money back in a year, what would you do with the money? Use it. Use it for expansion purposes. You know, it's more sales efforts and marketing efforts. Right. Yeah. Hire people. Maybe do some videos. Uh, get some social media marketing programs together. That sort of thing. And what do you think that would do to your business? Well, they, they, we would do that with the expectation of growing our assets and you know, having you know and attracting more more advisors. So why aren't you doing that today? This is the first I've heard that this is even available to me. <laughs> yeah. well, well, you well, know, well, no, let me clear. It's available to you, but it costs, it's a loan. It's not a gift, okay? Oh, okay. Yes, that's right. right. The right. right. is going to give me a gift. No, but the question I do give around the country is that the question is designed 
to sort of take the obstacle away of money, because if you have a good strategy, money is often the easiest thing to solve for. So it's a hypothetical. I'm not pushing you to do it. Would it make sense for your practice to take a loan of $350,000? It's a term loan. It goes into your account. You've got 10 years to pay it back. You're both personally guaranteeing it, but you're not putting a lien in your house because it's under $350,000. And you're using it to expand or grow your business without any prepayment penalty. What kind of interest rates do loans like that currently go for? Or just terms, like uh, either With monthly or annual. Right, but I mean, 10-year terms around 11%, 11 and a quarter percent today. Much more expensive than it was a year ago. A year ago, it was 6%. Right. But it's, still, I mean, it's, not, it's not an enormous amount. The actual loan was 2.75. So that's, if you want to expand and you wanted to try and expand and use resources beyond just cash flow to do that, that is one of the um, scenarios that we help people through. But I always say to people about that, don't take the money without a plan. Yeah, sure. And don't have a strong thesis about how you're going to make a lot more money than with that, then your interest is, is going to cost you. Right. What does the SBA underwrite the the what the intended capital is for? Or do they just need a we're going to do it for expansion? Or what what do you actually say? Well, for that? Part of that depends on how strong your historical PL and balance sheet is. So if you have a very strong PL and balance sheet, they're going to be less concerned. If you don't, or you're just sort of break even or it's a bit of a struggle, then they're going to look much more carefully at your projections. But whatever they underwrite, I would we would always still tell a client, make a plan, like build some models that say, if we invested this 350, we would do these five things. These are the low and high range of what could happen and try to build up and say, geez, yeah, this is worth, uh, you know, almost uh, $40,000 of interest a year. Yeah. It, it, it might be, it might not be. You've got to have a plan. Also, I always, we always say to people, building your worst case scenario, if everything you try is an absolute disaster, can you handle the monthly payment? Yeah. <laughs> if everything you try is like a home run, yeah. what do you think will happen to your business and your margins and your profitability? And the likely, that, that the likely scenario somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me ask about the sort of the M and A, the additional like because again in this RIA space, the there is quite a bit of activity and several um, platforms that help advisors list their businesses for sale and look for merger and acquisition opportunities. So with a zero, with a zero down type of acquisition, let's say we, your your target firm has revenue of two million dollars and net income of say five hundred thousand dollars. Then you end up with potentially something like a, well, probably a, we think that would be around a $3 million purchase price. At least, yeah. Yeah. So call it a $3 million purchase price on $500,000 of net revenue. 
um, what would, how would that work? Or does that, does that fly with your kind of numbers? So the first thing up in a scenario like that is that the SBA on a business acquisition is by law um, has to order an appraisal business because that's the primary asset that they're collateralizing. Right. And that's actually really intended to, to protect the buyer. So if I would guess a 6X net would, might be a little steep. Usually we see between four and five times net, right? Um, but maybe there's something specific to your industry that it would justify it. The appraisals are heavily based on cash flow. So the lender is the, it's designed to see the lender's comfort and the, your ability to pay back the loan based on the cash flow of the business. Now, if you were to acquire that business and it's going to, you think you can get the profitability stronger because maybe they'll be combining some of the operations based between your business and their business. That's another thing. I would also think I've never specifically done myself personally an M&A deal in the RA space, but a lot of the questions would likely be around the the relationships with the existing RIA and their clients. So if that RIA sells, how likely are those relationships to stick? The appraisal could be balanced if there's one client that has a very large percentage of the business, that could be a concern. How how many clients are there in the portfolio? All these things could impact the appraisal. So sometimes what we suggest to people when you are considering SBA financing for an acquisition, order the appraisal. It's not hell that expensive. It's two or $3,000. And you can pretty quickly get a point of view as to how much you could borrow to buy this business. Now, there might be buyers out there in your space that are cash buyers or private equity buyers who don't really care. Okay. That's a different situation. But if you're an individual buying a business or it's likely that an individual is going to buy your business, then there's a really good chance that the SBA is going to need to be used to finance it and then sorting out what that estimated value is. And we can sometimes spitball a transaction. We can just look at some numbers and give someone a real quick opinion. 6x sounds high to me, but maybe there's something unique to the industry that I don't know about. No, I mean, that's just an example. It wasn't, it's mm-hmm. not, it's not a, uh, well, I, I, yeah. I just don't know, right? Yeah, no, it's the math was easy. It's not a pending deal. Right. <laughs> yeah. Are you, are you selling yours for sex? Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, talk to me a little bit about how you would see your services being able to benefit RIAs with respect to offering, you know, offerings to their clients who might be, you know, in the very same spot you're talking about where you know, you're able to find an RIA buying another RIA, but how about the client of an RIA who might otherwise want to do something with assets that the RIA controls? Talk to us, talk to us a little bit about how you could see that, like your business and what you do helping to actually preserve the asset base of the RIA by having you step in to help the client. So there it is. Yeah. So we get, we get referred deals from RIAs across the country all the time. And essentially, let's make it up. You have a million dollars of assets under management for a client, just one scenario. And they're coming in and they want to buy a business for a million bucks. 
In one scenario, they could play cash and liquidate everything. On another scenario, they might be able to borrow $900,000 of that and maybe even up to a million dollars of that. So it's not that one solution is specifically better or worse all the time. It is, though, I think, worthy of helping that uh, client understand their debt options. Now, you could send them to your local bank or a bank that you have a relationship with, but keep in mind that every bank has its own credit box. Every bank has its own particular set of products. Every bank has its own sort of philosophy. Some banks might be great at SBA. Some might be horrible at SBA. There could be a bank where you have a relationship with a banker and they are uh, terrific at the, uh, or their bonus is tied to commercial loans. They don't get bonused if they do SBA loans. So even if they have a great SBA department, three buildings down, they're not going to tell you about it. When it comes to SBA loans, People, SBA has a big branding problem, right? So someone might walk into a Wells Fargo branch and be told something about an SBA loan, and they just assume that's fact or gospel. But it's not. That's how Wells Fargo interprets the program, and that's the level of education of that person you spoke to. Sometimes you have to kiss a bunch of frogs to meet your prince in this business, no pun intended. And so trusting your one particular banker to give you accurate information may or may not be accurate. Interesting. Talk to me about the, you wrote a book called The Growth Dilemma and describe in, in let's say in a few minutes or, or something reasonable, what you were trying to accomplish with the book and what, what you cover in that book. Yeah, it's there's a general theme, which is the same theme I do in some of that content has evolved and grown over the years. And I do a lot of active public speaking around the country in different workshops. And the general thrust of it is, well, you guys have a business. So how big do you want to be? Maybe you have a great business and you have a great lifestyle and you're making plenty of money to meet your needs and your retirement and objectives and all that. You get to go on vacation every year. You don't have debt. Your houses aren't tied to the business and you're happy. If that's the case, God bless you. <laughs> Maybe you want to grow five or 10% a year and that's great. Or maybe your aspirations are to triple or 10X or 20X or whatever it is. Whatever your chance, your choice is, comes with a different risk profile or tolerance. And what we advise people is figure all that out. And especially with partnerships, because partners could be at different places also. We're working with a client now who they uh, manufacture food and they've been co-packing for years and years and years. And it's really time for them to outgrow co-packing. It's really, they, they need their own facility. Well, one partner is gung-ho and ready to sign his life away. And the other partner's older and a bit of a nerve, very nervous about it and not willing to do it. Like risk tolerance is a big thing that partners should think about 
before they start a business or at different stages of their business along, along the journey. So what I try to get people equipped to do is really to think through just how big you want to be, how much risk you want to take in the process, but, and ultimately in sorting all that out, what's going to make you sleep, sleep well at night. So if, and it's not all about like trying to build the next Facebook or whatever. People just have different scenarios or life goals. So figure it out, decide where you're trying to go, make a plan around it, decide how much risk you're comfortable with and stick to it and be happy with whatever you're try, tr- tr- trying to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It's interesting tying to our own yeah. Our own journey, you know, our firm is measured risk portfolios, and that really is our mantra. Yeah, you actually can build equity portfolios that have defined amount of risk in them. And we counsel other RIAs and clients to really kind of delve into what risk is in the portfolio and help advisors either teach them or advise their clients' money for them um, with the use of options, options with that. Really, it's interesting. It's a missing piece, uh, we think. I mean, there's plenty of firms that use options, but they may use them to write covered calls and generate income. Uh, our firm specializes in using options to actually get exposure to uh, alpha and basically upside. And it's a very defined tool and it comes at a cost. I mean, what's really clear about an option is that it's not, it's not for something you can hold on to and wait for it to recover in value like you can with an equity. If an option loses its value, it's gone and you need to buy another contract. So it's very defined on its risk structure uh, and, and it really comes with some interesting mechanics. So that's, that's cool. Similar, our- similar ideas, right? Like similar ideas. Like we exactly. put people on this yeah. risk tolerance score. It's in the book. Yeah. People can have a score from five to 25 on a risk tolerance. Now, yeah. and no one's right or wrong. And sometimes it changes over time. Without sometimes. doubt to me. I mean, who was it? Like Kentucky Fried Chicken. You talk about taking risk. I mean, what's his name? Uh, Colonel Sanders. Colonel Sanders, I think, started, mm-hmm. started that business when he was in his 70s or something, or late 60s. I mean, he was definitely, you know, at, at, at the tail end of his, of his life, as I recall. When you start, you literally, like, I came close to selling my firstborn a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just because I couldn't um, find any buyers. Well, <laughs> I mean, Bernard, I think you both knew my dad. If he knew how much risk I took, he'd kill me. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't have gone before him. Okay. But the, um, and then you get through those first painful few years. And if you survive it, sometimes people have post traumatic stress from all that. And yeah. then when it, I mean, you think about the risk you took when you were starting out, it's very different than the risk you might consider taking now. I mean, we partnered up. I mean, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. I, I, if I if I thought about these questions, we wouldn't have been partners, Bernard. That's for yeah. sure. I'm glad I just went into it blindly. But I actually recommend if people are, are thinking about going into business together, I often recommend they read the growth dilemma. Each read it and then talk about it. Because there's if there's some differences of opinion, that's healthy. But if partners are going to a business, they should have a point of view about kind of what they hope to build and how much risk they're willing to take in the process. So if someone says, if you're going to a partnership and someone says, I will never personally guarantee a loan for the life of me ever. Yeah. 
that's important to know before you start. It, 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 it might be a warning sign. I had a, a friend of mine ask me to speak to a guy who um, he's got like a $3 million business and he was complaining to this friend of mine bitterly that it's been absolutely impossible to get him an SBA loan and he's had to use high cost of capital and this and that, and it's not right and it's not fair and this and that. And my friend asked me to speak to him. I said, I'd be happy to speak to him. I had this conversation last week and he's like, uh, personal guarantees are no starters for me. I won't do it. And I said, okay, take the expensive loan. That's your choice or get more equity. One time early on in the practice, I had a client who had, I think, a uh, cleaning company in San Jose, California. And they uh, needed money. And I got them a, like an $800,000 SBA offer, 10-year money, 6% lien on his house. And he said to me, hell or high water, no lien on my house. It wasn't negotiable for him to go out and get me something else. The only other thing we could find him was a one-year loan at 36% interest for $300,000. Ouch. Oh, my gosh. Which he took. What? Still with a personal guarantee. Wow. Because in his, something had happened. It could be him. It could be his spouse. It could be his parents or whatever. A, a lien in his house was non-negotiable for him. Wow. Ultimately, a few years later, because he got on that high-speed debt treadmill of those expensive short-term loans, he landed up bankrupt, and I think he lost his house. Huh. Well, go figure. I mean, if you lose your cash flow to something else, the house is on. You, know, you have a mortgage on the house at some point, and so sometimes people get irrational about this stuff. Yeah, and ultimately, we can't. Ultimately, they're going to do what they're going to do. Yeah. But it's start. an interesting uh, observation because it really is a gut check on whether or not you think your plan has legs, right? Because I think if you're not prepared to, commit, you know, really bet the farm, literally, then you, yeah. you have to have doubt in the outcome. And I think that doubt is what yeah, is, is, almost, is what's, it's almost assures the fate. Yes, it's like a lethal lethal injection of doubt is not not good for the yeah. ultimate plan. So I mean, you can put the house on the line, make sure it works. You know, fight tooth and nail to make sure that, that you succeed and make your cost of yeah. capital manageable. Thirty six. It all makes sense. So why why should the government guarantee a loan if the entrepreneur is not willing to guarantee it? Also, yeah, no, that seems it doesn't seem like an unreasonable. You know, what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah. You know, it's almost like you're in partnership with the government in a sense, but they need to know that, that you're committed to making your Yeah, it sounds like your pain. It's almost unreasonable the government is uh, acting this well. <laughs> uh, somehow it seems like we've run astray. And so my, my respect for the SBA is getting uh, better and better, I guess, as we as we have a conversation. Yeah. Well, they're in the middle of there's all kinds of politics in that now, but that could be another hour conversation. So let's yeah. let's not go there. Let's not go. So this is so in a natural, your role is to kind of broker loans. I mean, somebody comes to you with a with a uh, scenario, and you could say to them, you know, you should do this, this or that. Almost, you know, like in our industry, you know, we talk about brokering like CDs or brokering, you know. Yeah, but sometimes it's sometimes it's the look. There are a couple of different scenarios phone calls. Sometimes it's like, we don't think there's a debt option out there for you. Hmm. Uh, a family friend just called me this morning about a movie project. I'm like, I can't yeah. help you. 
Yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's usually cash financed, not, <laughs> not debt financed. Sometimes there is a scenario where the debt is, and there's a lot, there's a pervasive industry in this. There's a bunch of these companies in San Diego, where you're from, okay, where they're into these short-term high-interest loans. Yeah. And they put entrepreneurs on these debt treadmills that are almost their traps. Yeah. I mean, well, we get the solicitations all the time. You've been pre-approved for, you know, pick the number. I mean, it's awful. I would just for the sort of fun the other day, I'm like, we actively use QuickBooks. Strong, profitable business. Yeah. QuickBooks has this thing called QuickBooks Capital. I don't know if you guys use QuickBooks or you've ever seen it, where they make it so easy to get a loan, you can just extract your data from your accounting system. And what were their options for me? One was a $250,000 option, and the fees and the interest were going to be like $72,000 over 18 months. And I didn't calculate their APR calculation. I bet you it's wrong. They said it was like 36%. And the other option was a one-year loan for $100,000, like 26% interest. Wow. And I'm like... This is basically a big credit card advance or did worse. I'm like, screw you into it, like with your $20 billion market cap or whatever. you. This is what you do to business owners and entrepreneurs. Sink that. I mean, you just drown in debt payments. Yeah. I resigned. I wrote for Inc. Magazine for eight years. I resigned from them in October in protest because they published a list called Inc. Power Partners. And they put some of these lenders on that list. Here are resources entrepreneurs can't live without, and they're vetted by our editors. Oh, wow. So I resigned. So there are a lot of debt traps out there that also RIAs should be really talking, I think, to their entrepreneurial clients about and cautioning them against because it's just, it's like the bad news bear. Yeah, that is not, you know, that's the, I mean, I know we, we get the solicitations. I, I, I toss them. I know Larry tosses them. But it's, well, it's curious to realize now that I, you know, our firm has been pre-approved for $350,000 credit lines up and down, you know, about once every seven or 10 hours, we get an inbound solicitation for that kind of number. So it, it must just be a solicitation. Is pervasive and it's awful now. There's lobbying going on in Washington that those firms are now trying to get authorized to do SBA loans. And at the same time, I was just actually testifying in front of Congress like a couple months ago about this topic. They're, they're trying to do that and trying to get the SBA to change tons of their rules at the same time to make it easier for them to do the loans. It sounds. It's almost, it almost sounds like a, like a housing crisis. You know in in, in the development stage, you know, let, let's make credit easier and easier and easier. And Correct. Correct. Money doesn't solve everything. Yeah. It's like cheap money, you know, in an environment where, you know, what is it? It's not Even cheap money, cheap money Bernard, yeah. you know, no, the, government did the, the government did these idle loans. Yeah. Okay. No, it's, no, it's, it's the default rate that, out, that ultimately kills it all. But uh, idle loans, they did 400 billion of them totally, like 3.9 million of them totally. That portfolio, last I heard, was at like a 36% default or liquidation or in in late stage. That's not good. Yeah. Nothing good. Nothing good about them. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, listen, thank you very much for your insights today on debt, debt management, debt ideas, uh, growth, you know, objectives and goals. Is there any question or thought you'd like to either have us ask you or that you'd like to finish with? It's all good. Just, you know, there's no right answer, right? But our job as advisors is to ultimately the right answer is what's going to make the entrepreneur sleep better at night. Yeah. My job is to create challenging questions for people to think about their options and alternatives. And then whatever they decide, they decide. Well, great. Well, thank you very much for spending your time today. I answered some questions about this and look forward to uh, catching up with you at a different time. I mean, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. This interview also may contain statements that constitute endorsements of measured risk portfolios, also known as MRP. Please note that any such statements are not made by clients of MRP, but by representatives of other investment advisory firms that work with MRP. No compensation was offered or given in exchange for these statements. However, a conflict of interest exists due to the incentive to give an endorsement in the interest of a good future working relationship between the endorser and MRP.